Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership with Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Good morning, JR. Good morning, Doug. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is kind of a momentous time of the year for us. We have been doing this podcast for about a year now. Dang. It's hard to believe it's been a year. It is hard to believe. So we wanted to take a couple minutes to reflect upon what have we learned? Mm. How have we grown? Mm. You know, what are some of the guests that we've had on that kind of stick out to us? And so just for a couple minutes before we have our guest on, just to look back yeah. and to reflect. That's really important that we spend time reflecting. Absolutely. And I think what's really neat, you talk about the momentum too, and I'll get to that in a minute, but it's been amazing to see how much this thing has grown yes. in a year. Yeah. I mean, we started this thing wanting to just encourage pastors, tell a better story. And it's been really neat because that's what's been happening. And we're hearing good feedback and we're having these great conversations. And we're just really grateful for those of you who have tuned in, who have listened, who have uh, shared these with other pastors and kingdom leaders. Um, yeah, I would say for me, uh, gosh, it's like everyone, it, they feel like my my kids where everyone is my favorite and I am not allowed to have one or two, but the ones that have really popped recently for me, as I think back, I, I think back to AJ's interview that we had, um, just such a AJ raw- Swoboda. AJ Swoboda. Yeah, yeah AJ season Swoboda, one. the end of season one, the yeah. very last episode, yeah. but just the- the honest, raw reflection of where he was coming out of just a hard season mm -hmm. of transition. Um, that continues to be one that that was just very marking, very honest. And yeah. I think we've we've mentioned it before, but uh, I've we 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 have the blessing to Zoom call when we record, and so that's why sometimes you might hear glitches. But we really honor, we really want to see the person. It helps us. I don't think he opened his eyes the whole time. It was like, <laughs> yeah. it was just this beautiful thing. So I, yeah, that, that for me just really continues to, to gain traction for me and just a, a great, honest and raw, almost confession from a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we hope for, right? I mean, we, we want a double major in it being raw and honest, right? If it's too honest and if it's, it, sorry, raw and hopeful. Yes. Uh, if, if it's raw and honest, but not hopeful, it, it comes out like cynical and, and uh, I don't know, just dissonant yes. a little bit in our souls. But if it's too hopeful and not raw, then it sounds like a Hallmark card and we want to avoid both of those. And we so we read the Psalms. It's full of hope and it's very raw and honest yes. at the same time. Yes. Um, and I think that's the Christian life. You know, it's, I believe, help me with my unbelief, right? There, There's hope and there's there's raw honesty at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think another one that was really impactful for me was Glenn Paul. Yes. My, it's still messing with yeah. me. And that, that was just and back scripture. in January, that season three, it was our, I think it was our second episode in season three, but so good. Um, yeah, it, it has messed with the way that I've read scripture. I am deeply grateful, not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus because of what he had to share. Yeah. How about you, Jared? What are some of the things that really jumped off the page for you? Yeah, I, I we've talked about this a little bit before, but um, you know, Steve Cuss's interview was was fantastic, just talking about life-giving list. You know, mm. we keep referring back to that. Uh Josh Meyer gave some great resources that oh, I'm still using man. today. Uh, and so really grateful for Josh and his willingness to be on. Even Dave Eckert and talking about mental health, how do we how do we take care of ourselves in terms of mental health? And then how do we minister to those who struggle with mental health? And uh, so th those stick out to me. But one of the things I'm grateful for is that we're hearing from a lot of folks, both women and men, who are really encouraged by the amount of female pastors and leaders that we have on. Yeah. And uh, it's been so fun 
to to have them on and to hear from them, to learn from them, and to share them with our listening audience. Yes, um, we have so many great female leaders out there who are doing great things that uh, maybe aren't very well known. And so, um, speaking of that, I, I think Tara Beth, like her interview, oh, uh, man. talk about uh, yes. raw and hopeful at the same time. Uh, I think that was a fantastic interview that we had. Um, but Doug, what has surprised you in this process? Oh, well, there has been, I, I think really what has surprised me is how, how much I've learned in this. And I, I think what's been really cool is how this is deeply impacting the way that I pastor Renew. Um, because I think just being on with these different leaders, I, I just catching their heart and seeing what they're doing and seeing the ways that they're following the Lord. And it, it feels like for me, it's just this constant encouragement to just keep going and to keep being faithful. Um, and it almost, I think I've been surprised by uh, just the diversity uh, at, and yet extreme like consistency of wisdom huh. about uh. how to order your life as one who is in ministry to, for the long haul. That that has been a like I almost sense there's going to be all these really brand new concepts and ideas as we started out on this, but it just feels like I keep hearing so many of the same affirmations of Sabbath, like silence, solitude, friends. That's that's what that was that is actually what has surprised me the most is friendship. The role that friendship has for a person in ministry is I think the most oft overlooked like characteristic that a good healthy leader needs and and that confession i'm i am i am growing in what it means to have deep friendships um especially i think we've bought into the lie of you can't have good friendships within your church uh. and you can't you know you can only go outside and i've really appreciated both how a lot of our uh our the folks we've interviewed had talked about having friendships within the church and friendships outside of the church um, and really putting that on the schedule and making sure that that happens. That to me has just been so good. Um, how about you? What surprised you? Yeah, we've talked about this before, but what surprised me is how many non-pastors are listening. And and that's great. And so if you're a pastor, we're so grateful you're listening. And if you're not a pastor, uh, we're grateful that you're listening as well. Sometimes we're curious as to why you listen. <laughs> we Maybe are. it's kind of peeking behind the the curtain at Oz to see how the levers are pulled. Uh, I don't know, uh, to see the wizard, but um, but nonetheless, we're so grateful. And uh, if it helps you to know what goes through the life of a pastor um, and the mind of a pastor, like, great. Keep doing it. Do us a favor. Uh, pray for your pastor. Support your pastor. Uh, your leaders in your life, um, and uh, maybe you can even encourage this and pass this on to them uh, to let them know about this as well. So um, if you're new with us as well, if this is, uh, we were noticing that uh, more and more people each week are downloading this, which is really encouraging. Um, but if you're new to this, feel free to go back and and listen to some, some other episodes uh, of what we're doing. But if you're new to this, we're really grateful you're a part of this tribe and this community. They're, we're trying to rewrite the narrative that you don't have to choose between being in ministry and being healthy, mm. that you can actually do both, mm -hmm. and that we don't have to succumb to the business uh, model of what success looks like. Amen. And so we just we just uh, really want to encourage you to lean in with us further. We want to hear from you. We'll put our email uh, emails in the show notes, like we always do. But uh, we're really glad you're journeying with us here. If you're if you're new to the podcast, yeah, and that's something we we've really been dreaming about. Uh, almost opening like a mailbag opportunity for us, uh, which is where we would just love to hear questions, topics. 
um, people or whatever, um, just questions and topics that you guys would would want to hear more about. We are not experts, but we are learners. And so we would love to jump into whatever places that are happening. And even just as you're thinking through ministry stuff, you know, like, oh man, what does it look like to uh, swing a dead cat? We could get Carolyn Moore back on and she could talk about <laughs> swinging a great dead metaphor. cats. Oh my gosh. I've gotten so much mileage out of that. It's, it's so good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And those who have have, uh, like a lot of our guests have been on because we've asked other pastors who should we have on. Yes, um, uh, and and I'm I'm just like Chuck Chuck DeGroat. The reason we got Chuck was because I asked a, a pastor that I uh, Scott Newman, who I'm coaching out in California, and I said who should we have on, and he introduced us uh, to Danae Pierre oh, as yeah. well as Chuck DeGroat. He- so we want to hear from you all. Who are the voices we need to be sharing? and learning from and um, listening to. So we totally welcome not only the voices, the who, but also the content, the what. Mm -hmm. What are topics we have not addressed that are big in the life of a pastor that we need to do? Please let us know. We'd love that opportunity. Yeah, we really would. So yeah, we're uh, just grateful again for a full year. Um, It has been a blessing. We're looking forward to the year to come. We have just been so, so deeply encouraged, moved, uh, and we've learned a ton. So we're grateful that you're on the journey with us. Yeah, thank you. Our guests today are Sid and Jeff Holsclaw. Sid and Jeff both serve as pastors at Vineyard North Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Sid is a ministry and life coach and also a spiritual director. And Jeff is an affiliate professor of theology at Northern Seminary. They co-authored the book, Does God Really Like Me?, which we're going to be talking about today. We hope you enjoy this conversation with our friends, Sid and Jeff Holsclaw. Jeff and Sid, really good to have you guys with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. It's always great to be among friends. And uh, we've journeyed with you guys for, I don't know, several years. I don't know how many years it's been, but we are so excited about the book that you just published, uh, which we said in the intro, but we'll say it again. Does God really like me? Discovering the God who wants to be with us. And this topic is so important, which is why Doug and I wanted to have you all on to unpack this further. Yeah. So one of the questions that's really burning in me uh, is, what was it like writing this together as as a married couple? Yes, it was an adventure. Jeff likes to keep teasing people and saying, we finished, we wrote a book and we're still married. (laughs) (laughs) And yet it's kind of true. Yeah. (laughs) But I think a lot of people, a lot of people anticipated that it would be awful. Like a lot of people have asked us, like, did you just want to kill each other or how, like that must've been really hard, but it actually went fairly smoothly. We are, um, well, we're, we're nearing 20 years of marriage yes. and we've ministered together for a while. So I think we at least had a sense of what we're both good at. We were in a place to appreciate strengths um, and not necessarily go after each other's weaknesses, you know, and things like that. So I think yeah. we already had a pretty good life partnership in place. Um, and I went into the book writing process knowing that Sid was a better writer than me. So like, I just, I understood that. That's not like a weird, like, that's not a joke. That's just like true. Like, so a different kind of writer. Let's just say that. So Jeff is, Jeff is really, really good at writing, um, like theologically, academically, (laughs) they're fascinating for the right kind of reader. (laughs) So generous of you. (laughs) Yes. And, uh, 
And I think my, I mean, my strength in writing is more like writing for for ordinary people, right? For, Using for the, the imagination, for the, for the rest of telling us. stories. And so I think it was really good because Jeff was really good at, um, he's also, he loves to research. And so a lot of the stuff, I mean, I like to study too, but he had, you know, he has much more of a background in theological training than I do and has had the opportunity to do more uh, intense and focused study throughout his life. And so um, I think we really relied on his strength in research whenever we were looking something up or investigating something. And I mean, we've always loved to just share ideas. Like when he learns something new, he'll be like, oh, I was just reading about this and I got to tell you about this. And then I get really excited. And then I think about like, oh, that reminds me of this story that I just heard the other day. Or, um, And so the process was kind of a lot like that in that, um, you know, he would he would sort of provide the the theological skeleton upon which the book hangs. Um, and then we would kind of get excited talking about it and think of stories and it would remind us of things in our lives. And so it was a really, a lot of it was really fun. It was also stressful because we moved halfway through writing the book, um, which was a surprise to both of us. So, you know, Jeff is we really... We like moved states. We moved churches. We like everything moved. Yeah. It's not like we just went to a new house, became like our whole first, life changed. Became first time homeowners, which yeah. was different, all of it. Um, but Jeff was really good at laying out a schedule and a structure for us, right? So like we signed the contract December 31st with InterVarsity, like January 1st, Jeff was like, okay, by this date, we have to get this done. And by this date, we have to get this done. And we were rolling right on track. And then all of a sudden it was like, God presented us with this and now you're going to move to Michigan. And it was like <laughs> the whole schedule just went whoop, right out the window. Yeah, we were right on half half of the year done, half the book written, and then it was like the next four months were just. Poof. Yeah, that's a great sound. So, I don't yeah. know if it's coming out on the recording. <laughs> it comes comes out great. Okay, good. And well, and Jr., I know you've co-authored books um, a couple times, and um, some people think that oh, if if you're and and this it works this way for some authors, but. Um, like if you have two authors, then it should be like twice as easy, but it actually takes twice as long because we're co-writing the whole thing. So we didn't like cut up chapters and be like, you do that one and you do that one, in which case it would have been easier. But so we're constantly editing and rereading. Yeah. But overall, I think the product was better than either of us could have done yep, individually. Absolutely. And we're really proud. We're proud of, of the, the literary child we've birthed into the world. Yeah. <laughs> as, you, as you should be. And I, I had the opportunity and the privilege to be able to endorse it. Mm -hmm. I only do endorsements of books that I believe in. I know not everyone does that, um, but I only write things that I truly believe are true. And so imagine that. So as a result, I'm so grateful that you all wrote this, that you all did this together. It was robust because you do come at very different angles about a very important topic. And as someone who loves questions, I love that every single chapter, including the introduction, is a question. Yes. And that you use then that chapter to answer the question. And I would say in, increase the questions, improve the questions, the quality of the questions. You increase the quality of the conversation itself. And you all have done mm -hmm. that because your questions were very good. Why of all of the topics that you all could have written on, why was this topic important enough to invest a year of writing together? Yeah. Well, because it has revolutionized, I'll speak personally, it has revolutionized my life to believe that God is with me in the here and now, right? Because I grew up with the idea that um, God was kind of distant, 
uh, cared about his people as a whole, uh, but was kind of done. You know, I, I, no one ever told me that it was like the watchmaker kind of thing where God winds the watch and sits back and watches. But I think that's the way it felt, even though it didn't necessarily like I wasn't necessarily taught that. Um, but I think I had this concept that God is kind of watching from afar um, and intervening when he absolutely has to, um, but certainly not in any sort of sense of being personally, like emotionally involved with his people and in, as individuals. So um, when I first started really, um, I was, well, I think it was N.T. Wright probably that got me really excited about, um, you know, some of the different ways of understanding the the overarching themes of scripture. Um, but then also I stumbled into a community of people doing Emmanuel prayer, which is um, really believing that if God, you know, if, if the gospel of Matthew begins with, um, and you shall call him Emmanuel, whose name means God with us. And the end of the gospel of Matthew is, you know, that I will be with you always till the end of the age. And so if we take Jesus at his word, like, why would he say that if he was just joking around? And so what does that actually mean that Jesus is actually with us? And then going through um, learning how to pray, thinking about Jesus with me, um, remembering different memories of my childhood and sort of asking Jesus, you know, what, what would you like me to know about that memory? What do you know about that memory? What do you want me to understand there? Um, I just experienced really significant healing in seeing um, Jesus in my past and uh, learning to see him in my present, um, learning to speak to him differently as if he's actually here, like not some far away, like have to use the right language, but like Jesus is actually standing in the kitchen with me while I'm cooking dinner. And like Jesus is actually sitting with me in the bedroom while I'm taking a time out for myself because I'm about to scream at my kids. And Jesus is actually with me when I'm in a hurry because I'm late somewhere in the car, like just actually thinking like God is actually with us. And that changes everything. It changed everything for me. It changed our marriage. It changed the way I parent. It changed my relationships, my dynamics with my extended family, just all of it. Because I know that there's always someone who sees me, hears me understands why I'm where I'm at emotionally and physically and is always glad to be with me and is for me. And that makes all the difference in the world. So that's why I wanted to write the book. It was actually, it's funny. I didn't really want to write this book. So Jeff actually kind of pestered me about this book for a little while. Um, that's right. Long while. Yeah. Cause he's good at that. Basically everything that I pestering or calling you into something yes. that maybe you wouldn't have seen inviting me to see yes. myself in ways <laughs> that I wouldn't naturally see myself, which is good. It's great. Um, but it was actually at a, um, it was actually at Missio Alliance, uh, the year before we started writing, whenever that was 2017, 20, whatever year that was. Um, I found myself ending up having like five different conversations over the course of those couple of days with people. Um, and I just find myself always saying to people like, God sees you. He like, he's with you in that. And that brings such comfort and joy to people to actually think, oh, God isn't passive or far away from that situation. Like no matter what that feels like, he's actually with you in that. And I found myself having that conversation like five different times over the course of those couple of days at Missio. 
And that it also went beyond that to not only does God want to be with you, but like he takes great delight in you and seeing the tears that came to people's eyes and proclaiming that news. And these are people who like have been following Jesus for a very long time. Like these are people who have sacrificed time and money to go to a conference where we talk about God. So these aren't like brand new believers. And so to see what an impact, like, I guess I had forgotten what good news it is because I felt like it had become something I was so convinced of that I didn't really remember what it felt like to hear it for the first time. And so as I was saying it over the course of those days, I was just like, wow, this really is such good news. And we really don't have, I don't have any right to say it's too much work to write a book. I don't want to get the, like, I don't want to do it. It was more like God was inviting me to see, do you see what an impact this has on people's lives. And I need you to just follow me and let me write this book with you. And so that was, I remember I came home to Jeff and I was like, okay, we need to write the book. And he's like, what happened? Finally, (laughs) finally. I think for me, um, the reason why um, the subtitle of the book is discovering a God who wants to be with us. And I think uh, pastorally, I had started noticing, you know, for sure five years ago, probably even more that I kind of, I stopped telling people that God loves them, which sounds like a bad and weird thing to say. You're such a bad pastor. I know, right? It feels like I'm a bad <laughs> pastor, but, but I had that sense that that doesn't do that. That wasn't doing work in people's lives, that that was neither good news nor bad news. It was just kind of like, ah, eh. um, and people from all different backgrounds, it just didn't seem like that, like grabbed them in any way that that like penetrated them. Um, and so, and I had switched um, to other words, like the one Sid was saying, you know, like, well, God wants to be with you, or God sees you in that, or God hears you, or God understands what you're going through. And that, uh, and when I say, or even, you know, like God really, God likes you, uh, then people, would be, I could tell like, oh, tell me more about that. But whenever I said, God loves you, like I never got, oh, tell me more about that, <laughs> right? But when I said, and so I think pastorally, uh, and then I've been doing a lot of research on both brain science and social anxiety and all these other things. And it just like, now I have good reasons why using words about love just seem to bounce off people. Um, but that, that for me was kind of where the book came from is like, we need different language to, to explain the good news. And, and Jesus didn't walk around being like, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He, like he didn't do that. And he also didn't do like sinner, 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 sinner. Right. So Jesus met people in, in what was going on in their life and then brought the kingdom in, a, in an appropriate way um, through compassion and empathy and, and primarily through presence. Like he brought his presence, his whole presence is the whole kingdom gospel um, reality of God. Um, and, and God's doing that to us all the time. And then our call as Christians is to do the same thing for other people. So as you have been receiving some feedback, what has really surprised you guys in terms of the just the feedback that you've been getting or the responses that people have been having with the book? Um, I think some of the feedback that I've gotten is, um, you know, from people who are not pastors at all. Um, and, you know, like uh, some friends in my homeschool community actually have been reading it. And one of the one of the comments was, I could only read one chapter and then I had to put it down for a while because like, 
I just had to let it sink in and I had to let it, I had to like sit with it. Um, and then I read a couple more chapters and then I just had to like, I thought I wasn't even going to finish it. I was just going to put it away for a while. And I was like, why, why, you know, what, what, what was happening? Well, it just, it felt too good to be true. Um, and I'd never really heard the gospel like that before. And so I just needed to, to take time to really digest it. And so I think that's one thing that's been um, surprising, but also really encouraging. Like it, it makes me really sad that the gospel doesn't really sound like good news all the time. Like that makes me so sad that like we've gotten to a place where um, proclaiming the gospel turns more into sin management than it is into like God's delight and his joy in being with us and inviting us into his purposes. But it was really exciting to hear that, first of all, that it was making that kind of an impact. And secondly, that like she was actually returning back to the book, like she would feel like she wasn't going to finish it, but then it was like, it would, it would, it would like draw her back and she wanted to go read it again. Um, so that was one piece of input that, and people have been saying that the practices at the end of the chapter have been really helpful. Um, so that not just reading the chapter, but then actually doing the sort of meditation and asking themselves the questions, even listening to the songs um, that people have said that that has been really helpful for sort of getting the information into their hearts and their minds rather than just their into their bodies even. So it's been mm. really cool. Mm. I think um, the feedback has been positive in the sense that it's helping people kind of read read the Bible or understand the story of God differently. We use this uh, image at the beginning of the book to talk about what we're going to try to do, which is the idea of like the, the grocery store that you always go to, you, you come and they like moved all the aisles uh, and they change, you know, it's like when they you rearrange, know, rearrange everything. everything or they retrofit, you know, they upgrade and they make it nice. But then it's like, you don't know where the cereal is. Like you could go in and out in seven minutes because you knew where everything was on your list. And now it's like, I don't know where everything is, but all the same stuff is there but it's just in a different place. And so we're trying to like read the Bible and try to think about God in our own lives in terms that should be familiar with everybody, but we're trying to put them together. And I think like Sid was saying, people are like, Oh, that's like, it's that's, disorienting. Yeah. That's but really also, helpful. It's not actually exciting. It's not new information in one sense, but it's in a different way. And so, mm. so we go through the stories of creation and the fall and, you know, the call of Israel and the life of Jesus, you know, which in some sense people should, you know, if you've been in the church or been reading your Bible, you're like, oh yeah, these are familiar stories, but we're trying to do them in, uh, yeah, in different ways through asking the questions, like you said, JR. Yeah. I love that metaphor. I mean, I'm a visual learner. So that idea of like the same products, but in different places in the grocery store, like that really lands with me, um, on that. And that's, that's terrific. So does God really like me is the question you address. I obviously here on the Monday morning pastor podcast, a lot of our listeners are pastors, kingdom leaders. So I think theologically all pastors would say, yeah, I agree with that doctrinally, theologically. It's in my head, but it isn't necessarily running through my bloodstream. So what would it look like? What implications and consequences if I am not convinced that God really likes me? What does that do to me as a person if I don't think God likes me? And then what does it do to me as a pastor? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's it's really, I think even maybe does God really like me is the question, but then there's also the why does God really like me, mm -hmm. right? So I think um, 
Now, even just speaking out of my own experience as a pastor, I think it can be easy to think that if you preach a great sermon or if you are really, really present with somebody who's going through a hard time or if your um, numbers are growing or you're producing disciples or like, you know, if you're doing all the right stuff, then of course God likes you. But the deeper question is, how does God feel about me when everything has bombed and five different families just left our church and, um, you know, this, this marriage just fell apart and I was the one who married them or what, you know, whatever the case is, it's sort of like, well, how does God feel about me then? Um, and so I think it's, it's. What we, you know, we've tried to, we wrote the book in such a way that like God takes delight in who we are because it's in scripture. That's why we wrote the book that way. Like, right. (laughs) But God takes delight in who we are because we are created in his image intended to be in his presence. That's what he created us for was to be in his presence. And he created us to be a participant in his mission and in his blessing. And so it's not based on anything that we do. It's not based on what other people think of us or what other people say about us. And it's certainly not based on like how many people we have in our church or how well things are going. It's based completely on the fact that God created us in his image. And that's why we belong in his presence. That's why he wants to be with us. And that's why he invites us to participate in his work in the world. And so I think it takes the stress down as a human being and as a pastor when you don't consider that your worth and your value depend on the things that you do or what people are saying about you or the sermons or anything else. It's like, it's not about your performance or your possessions or about your popularity, right? The three Ps, but it's clearly because God takes delight in you because you're his and you belong with him. And so I think it reduces anxiety and it brings things back to a level of, you know, before you can talk about baptism. I'm not, but we always end up talking about baptism eventually. So, but before you talk about <laughs> baptism, uh, I, I would say uh, we're, the book is really all about who God is and who are we in relation to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so God, this is kind of like, what does it mean to be made in God's image? And so we talk a lot about it. And for those of you who are visual learners, we tell lots of stories, but we also have pictures at the end of each chapter uh, to kind of summarize these things. Uh, and these pictures kind of talk about how we're made for um, to dwell in God's presence. And we're, and from that place of acceptance and belonging, uh, which in Christ we just have, um, then we pursue God's purposes in the world to bless the world. And I think for pastors, but not just for pastors, we all have this temptation or this kind of implicit understanding because we've been raised this way. We got this from our teachers. We get this from our parents, our coaches, um, you know, our job reviews and our bosses. We get the sense that if I perform the right way, then I will gain the presence that I desire. I will gain access to the relationships, to this, a sense of belonging that I really do belong here because I performed in the right way. And the gospel that you know Jesus proclaims and that the father gives us is is the exact opposite is anything that we do should always just flow out of the sense that we already abide or live in God's presence already uh, and so for pastors but also for for others like as we're preparing for sermons we don't do these things to gain you know favor but rather they should be that coming from that overflow that we have 
um, of acceptance and blessing. So Sid, why don't you talk about the, the baptism, which is how Jesus, he ministered from this one place, yeah. which is the model for all of us. Yeah. And we, um, we spend a lot of time on this in one of the chapters in the section about mm-hmm. Jesus, but the, I, um, if we go to Jesus's baptism and I'm sure you, both of you have heard me talk about this before, cause it's like literally so important, but, um, that before Jesus has done anything before he's cast out any demons or performed any miracles or healed any sick people, um, he's baptized in the Jordan river and the heaven tears open and the spirit descends on him like a dove. And the father says, you are my son with you. I am pleased. Right. And so it's like, that's, that's where he begins his ministry. That's the place where his identity flows out from. And then from there, he's driven into the wilderness and he resists the temptations of the, of the evil one. And from there, he you know, is able to cast out demons and, and do all of the things that we know Jesus to have done. But before he did any of those things, the father was delighted. The father said, you are my son and you know, with you, I am well pleased. And so when we are brought into the family of God, we're brought into that same baptismal moment that the heavens burst open and God says to us, you are my daughter, you are my son, with you I am pleased, not based on anything you've done, but just on the fact that you're mine. And then out of our whole ministry flows out of that identity. Mm. Why is that so hard to believe though? mm. Why is it so hard to believe? Yeah. Well, Okay, before we go broken. there, before we go there, can I just read like this is a quote I really wish we had put in the book and we didn't. Can I read it really quick and then we'll talk about that because that's a really important question. Um, but CS, you know, I mean, we many people have heard the A.W. Tozer quote before about what comes into our minds when we think about God as the most important thing about us. Um, but C.S. Lewis also has a quote. Um, which I think was following on the heels of that, because he says, "How God thinks of us is not only more how God thinks of us is not only more important but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. Mm. To oh, be loved good. to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in his son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory, which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but it is so. Mm. And I just love that because it's like, yeah, to be, to be not just pitied by God, but to be delighted in like an artist takes delight in his work. You know, it seems too great. To, it seems too good to be true. And yet it is true. question again the question about why is it so hard to believe that god takes delight in us beyond we're broken sinners yeah well i mean i feel like i'm talking a lot (laughs) but i'll go i I would i would say um that because of our brokenness and because we've kind of lost god's presence because of sin that uh there are two kind of more typical responses and we were actually just talking about this with um our youth group just yesterday so We'll try this out with you guys, but like one is that we, a lot of us live in, in an emotional desert uh, where we've learned that survival means shutting down our emotions. Survival means conserving energy. Uh, there's signs of life kind of, but not really. Um, and so our hearts kind of are, are in a sense, 
are like kind of hard. Um, and so it's really hard to receive those messages when we're reading the Bible, when we're uh, listening to sermons, when we just, you know, when we're at, you know, conferences or whatever. Um, and we, it's hard to receive those messages that God loves us because we've already become ambivalent to the message of love. Um, others of us kind of live in an emotional jungle, which is super vibrant, vibrant. There's life, but also danger everywhere. You have to be hyper vigilant, and so you're emotion. You're on an emotional roller coaster constantly, um, and so you both really want messages of love, but you also don't trust them. You want to be accepted, but you're also terrified, and so you're, there's kind of like the going out and coming in. And so you're kind of like the push and pull mentality, rather than the kind of when you're in the desert, you're just kind of guarded all the time. And I think those two emotional realities make it hard to kind of receive the stable presence of a loving father who both wants to shower you with affection, but will also correct you and challenge you when it needs, when you need to be. Uh, and so this idea of kind of the stable kind of figure who wants to love us, but will discipline us um, is kind of both hard to imagine, literally hard to imagine. We don't have many frameworks. And I think our culture over the last 50 to hundred years, we've just become so our emotional capacity has become so low and our, um, our kind of empathy. We talk about emotions more than ever, but I'm not convinced that that's because we're more mature than ever. I think it's because <laughs> we're, I think we're less mature emotionally as a culture, even though we talk about emotions more, that's a whole nother conversation. So I think there's all sorts of these reasons why it's hard for the love of God to penetrate us, not just pastors, but everybody. Yeah, I was just, I mean, that's great. I'm really glad you brought that up because that works well. Oh, thank you, honey. By the way, the stable picture that he's describing is, uh, we described it last night as a pasture right? Because in the pasture, you know, your needs are met and you're cared for and you can see danger coming from afar because you can, because there's better sight lines in a pasture and there's a shepherd in a pasture. So anyway, that's the stable ground he was talking about. Just thought I'd fill that out. Um, I think the other thing that keeps us, well, along with that, you know, I think we grow, we all grow up um, with broken relationships, no matter how hard we try to be the perfect parents, you know, there's, there's going to be things that our kids are going to grow up and say, Oh, I'm still recovering from that thing. Right. Or from that dynamic. And so I think, um, it's hard for us to try to imagine God as a good, good father. If there was any kind of brokenness in our own relationships with our fathers, it's hard to imagine, um, good family relationships if there was any kind of brokenness when we were growing up. And so when home doesn't feel stable and safe and you don't feel delighted in, it's hard to believe that anyone would want to take delight in you because it's not familiar. It's not something that you've ever experienced. And so, yeah, I mean, we don't have a category or an imagination for that. And so I think God wants to rewrite our imaginations and give us capacity to know his delight even if we've never experienced it from um, a long-term family relationship. The other, uh, I know you're about to jump in another question, but it, it, maybe this would be its own question. But the, another reason why I think this is hard, this message is hard to understand is because we actually don't have a good category of joy mm. as part of the Christian life. Uh, and we talk about uh, joy quite a bit in the book. And I think that that... Um, you should say how we define joy. So joy is not happiness. Joy is not just... Um, good circumstances that make me feel content or good. Uh, and so in, in one sense, it's not even almost an emotion, although it is, but it, joy is actually a relational emotion. So you can only experience true joy um, in the presence of somebody else. You can experience happiness by yourself, but joy is something that's relational. And so joy is being in the presence of someone who delights in you. 
and you know that they delight in you. Um, and so, and I, this, this isn't in the book, but I've been thinking about how, you know, well, I'll get back to that in a second. But anyway, so, so joy, I just feel like we, that joy is kind of this lost theological and biblical category, which is actually all, all in scripture. But I think in our time in the world, you know, and when we think about God is everything supposed to be so serious, you know, we probably get that from our pastors because everything is so serious and sin is so serious. Although you're hearing a lot more about joy lately. I mean, like if you sure. just go in and even non-Christian books are talking about joy and you're seeing joy in place, you know, choose your joy or, you know, there's, there's a lot in your more. house and get rid of the stuff that don't bring you yeah, joy. Yeah. There's a lot more joy <laughs> being talked about in the world. I'm like, come on church, let's not be behind. Like, like we should, like, we know about joy. Let's, let's, let's be joyful people. And yeah. Anyway. I think it's really interesting because you guys are, one of the questions that we ask almost every pastor is what lies are you tempted to believe? And my sense is this question is, does God really love me or like me? is the central lie mm. that I believe most, not just pastors, but but just humans in general uh, are are we believe. and and we are so quick to um, just medicate the answer. And I think that's mm-hmm. the that's the part that I've really appreciated even just looking through the practices that you all have. Um, and you know, I guess my, my question is, you know, is there a different answer that you would give to pastors versus someone who's not a pastor reading this book in terms of who's really struggling with that? Uh, well, we've gotten feedback from a lot of pastors <laughs> who said, I needed to read this book. So, uh, so I think the answers are the same. Um, what do you think, Sid? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's really, it's a, it's a really different thing, right? When you're trying to live your entire life, um, like actually like, you know, all your hours in the day or most of your hours in the day for a person who you don't really think likes you. I mean, you know, you hear people talk about how I'm working with, you know, I hate my boss, but it's a paycheck, right? I don't know very many pastors who look at pastoring as just a paycheck. Um, and I just, it's not a very big one, (laughs) (laughs) right? It's not right. But I do think there are pastors who kind of have that sense that I'm not sure that my boss really even likes me. Like maybe he's about ready to fire me anytime. Um, or I think he's pretty fed up with me or disappointed with me or disgusted with me. Like, these are all the questions that we ask in the book, but I just like, like, what would the church be like if we, if we were living in the joy of knowing that our father is so delighted in us as people and how would our churches be transformed if we let out of places of joy instead of out of places of duty or obligation or, um, and I know there's lots of sacrifice in the Christian life. So I don't want to downplay that. Like, of course, we're all called to make sacrifices, but we're made, we're called to make sacrifices for the joy of being participants in bringing people into the path of life, right? Like in Hebrews, when, when we talk, when we see in Jesus, you know, the reason he endured the, he endured the scorn and the shame of the cross for the joy set before him, because he knew what that joy was going to produce. He knew what his sacrifice was going to, was going to bring. And I think sometimes as pastors, we get so stuck in like the, Oh, so hard. And I feel like I'm dying all the time. And I feel like people are throwing rocks at me and putting me up on a cross over and over and over again. 
And yes, it's all that. But if we lose sight of the joy of why we're doing it in the first place, or even if we've never experienced that joy in the first place, that I think that there's just a whole, there's a whole realm of the gospel that we just really need to not just dip our toes in, but dive full on into. And I think it would change our understanding of vocation and what we're called to. Lightning rod question or lightning round question, I should say. All right. Just real quick. I just don't overthink it. Who lives out that joy and delight? Who do you know? Who comes to mind? Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Who in your life that you see and touch on a daily basis? Like who, who's embodying uh, what you yeah, read about? There's a guy at our church. His name is Ted. And I think Ted lives out that joy. Like he, he thinks of God with him everywhere he goes. And like, he'll, he's praying for strangers all the time. He's talking to, he's just, he's just full of delight. Mm. And he has some hard stuff going on in his life, but he also knows that God is with him in it. Like he, he really embodies joy for me. He's one of those people. I, uh, I have a couple people in mind and, um, but they're, I would say they're joyful, but their demeanor often is actually peaceful. Um, and so I think that there is a connection between joy and peace. You know, we think of the fruits of the spirit that love joy and peace. And mm-hmm. in one sense, joy is, I think of as the high energy expression of being in God's love. Uh, but peace is kind of the low energy expression. It's interesting kind of being, wow. and so I think there's a lot of uh, like the, not the idea in leadership circles of like being an, a non anxious presence. Mm-hmm. And I think peaceful and joyful people um, are that way that you can bring a lot of high energy, but it's not anxious energy because it's a, it's a joy that lives within that comes out of the presence of, of God. And then there's also the peace, um, which is m- maybe more low energy, but like stabilizing. Uh, mm. So yeah, I have, I have people definitely in mind. I don't necessarily want to name them since it's being yeah. recorded, but for sure. <laughs> I'm naming no, Ted again because Ted, Ted is awesome. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it's good to catch people doing things right. That's awesome. So, yeah. so in, in chapter three, in your chapter on belonging under the section, believing we belong, you say this, how would your life change if you truly believed you belonged in God's presence? How might it change the way you approach God? What would feel different if you believed God made you to be with him and that you are welcome in his presence all the time, not because of anything you've done, not because you say the right words or act the right way, but because you are made in his image and you belong in his presence. How might it feel to never wonder whether God would shoo you away if you never question whether he is annoyed with you or not? What new risks might you be willing to take if you knew you could never lose God's love, never disappoint him, never fail to live up to his expectations for you? What relational security might it bring you to know that someone is always glad to be with you and you can always return to joy in his presence? Not only is that brilliant, I love the fact that almost every sentence, if not every sentence, was a question. (laughs) It was an invitation. So I well, just, you know, a, I love questions just as much as you do, Jr. Maybe, yeah. well, maybe not just as much, but I like them a lot. So yeah, well, I mean, that's so; those are so invitational. So just as we kind of wrap up this conversation, why? I mean, that was just that's who you are. That's the heartbeat of not only what you wrote about; that's the heartbeat of what you care about yeah. as a couple and as individuals. 
why is that so passionate? Why are you so passionate about what I just read? Because I love the church. Like I am not giving up on the church, right? There are so many people that I talk to who are so fed up with church, but I'm not giving up. And I know Jeff loves the church. That's part of how we first ended up together actually. Mm -hmm. It's just like, we just both have such a strong love for the church, the bride of Christ. And we just want to see the bride of Christ full of joy. I think for me, um, the reason why those questions are so meaningful to us and hopefully to others is that a lot, we spend a lot of our time, I, I think in the church, uh, asking and then trying to answer the sin problem. Uh, what's God going to do about sin? What is God doing about my sin? What is God doing about that person's sin over there? And, um, but as we talk about in the book, that's actually not what I think the main question and the main solution is that, that God is offering us. Is He's actually offering us, uh, that he's saying that there's a presence problem and God is offering us his presence again. And so um, when we read the Bible and when we struggle with our life, um, rather than going, well, who, who sinned where and what's God going to do about it? And I need to confess sin so that then I can move on. And all those things are important. So I'm not saying sin isn't important. But rather, we should be saying, am I doing these things because I'm trying to gain God's presence and affection and belonging? Or do I need to remember that I already have that in yeah, Christ? Yeah. And because I already have that, what other resources do I have available that I'm overlooking or forgetting? And can I just uh, look past this anxiety or this fear or this bitterness or this hatred and move into a new way of being? Because mm -hmm. my father is proud of me right now, even though maybe I blew it. My father in heaven is letting me play with his stuff. And this is, yeah. the, and I'll just leave this, uh, and this didn't make it in the book. There's actually, this image kind of came out through interviewing about the book. Um, this idea that, does God really like me? So we probably have all been invited over to a grandparent's house or maybe a great uncle who we don't really know and they don't know us. And it's kind of like, you're welcome in my house. But don't touch anything. But don't touch anything. Like, don't go <laughs> in that room. Don't touch my trophies. Like all my baseball cards that I have on display, don't touch them. Don't even look at them. Um, and you know when somebody likes you, and this is true definitely of kids. You and know delight, when, not just like, yeah. but takes delight. You know, someone delights in you when they let you play with their stuff. When they let you like mess up their stuff and like create something new and they're excited to do and it And instead with of you. getting mad about it, they're like, oh, look at your curiosity. Yeah, I never or thought like, to do it that oh, way. Oh, wow. Like that's and, delight. And so can we get into a place uh, as pastors and just all people where we can feel like, hey, God is like entrusting you with his stuff and he's super excited to see what I'm going to do with it mm -hmm. and what we're all going to do it in community. If we could get out of this place of like, Oh, I'm doing it wrong. Or I'm so anxious because God's going to fire me or something like that. And be like, no, okay. Like confess my sin, repent. Okay. But God, God has given us everything God, we need. Yeah. God's excited so let's go. to see what we're going to do here. Yeah. So I don't know. How does that land for you guys? <laughs> that, that lands so well, um, <laughs> man, that's awesome. Well, because I think that there's such there, it does seem to be that it, it it's more like God's more like that uncle, the great uncle that I've never really met before. It's for a lot of us. And mm -hmm. I, I get the sense that if we begin to delight in his delight for us, it just changes everything. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, Amen. And I, my, my sense is like, that is what changes the church. And that's what, cha that's what transforms the bride. That's what transforms the leaders. That's what transforms, um, our culture in, in the years moving forward is we have to become a people that are confident in that one thing. Um, we, we might be weird in all the other spaces, but as long as we're confident <laughs> in our belovedness, I think we'd be in a really good place. Yeah. 
Um, So as we think of wrapping this conversation up, um, I I just keep getting this sense of one of the things that I appreciate about the two of you is your alignment as a married couple. And could you guys just uh, just bless marriages um, and people who are married? And and even if you're not married and you're listening, just receive this blessing um, from a married couple. Uh, But I think that would just be a good place to land for us today. Yeah. Okay. You or me? Why don't you start? Okay. All right. Well, I just want to speak directly to people who are married, I guess. Um, and just that whatever you feel like you lack from your spouse, whatever you feel like your spouse doesn't understand about you, um, whatever your spouse doesn't get about you, just know that God sees that. And God hears those longings and those frustrations and that heartache. And he totally understands it. And he is so glad to be with you in it as you learn how to navigate that with your spouse. And he is 100% for your marriage and wanting to see this work between the two of you. And so you are never unseen or unheard or invisible or undervalued because your value comes first and foremost from your father who then allows that to overflow in love for your spouse in new ways. I would just, this is probably, I'm just speaking for my own continual work, but how, how can you not demand that your spouse join you in your emotional landscape, but you learn how to live and partner with them in their emotional landscape and learn and grow from the the good things that, that you bring that they bring. That's like life history. And how can you kind of challenge each other to keep uh, growing in, in the communication and in appreciation, primarily appreciation, Mm. bless each other through appreciating each other. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Yes. And just, I think just remember that every time you're communicating with your spouse, every time you're arguing, every time you're, you know, not arguing, every time you're not arguing, even when things are going really well, that, you know, God is with you in that, that he's, he's a partner in that conversation and in that, in that intimacy. Yeah. In good ways, not creepy ways. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah, it's so good to have you guys on. And uh, again, we'll have the book in the show notes. And um, we really are continually just grateful for your friendship over the years. Ditto, likewise. Looking forward to what God's up to in your lives. So much to unpack here with our friends, Sid and Jeff. That was what a deep dive that was. I feel delighted in though. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, and I mean, I love the fact, we, we always talk about Emmanuel at Christmas time, but that is a 24-7, 365 reality. And I love that Emmanuel, God with us, that it's not us with God. It's God choosing to be with us. And I think mm-hmm. that matters. And that I- idea that God delights in you, it actually reminded me of the story of Hagar, the Egyptian runaway slave girl from Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai in Genesis 16, right? And how, how Sid talked about like how God sees you, sees you in your pain, sees you in your hurt. And you know, she's a runaway slave, and yet God speaks to her 
in the desert and says, she, she gives God a name, Elroy or Elroi, the God who sees or the God who sees me, which is fascinating because it's the only time in scripture where a human gives God a name. And it's an Egyptian, not a Jew, a woman, and a slave. That's significant. That's a God that delights in his creation, which I think is amazing. So um, anyway, there's just so much more could unpack, but there were so many connections being made as I heard them talk. Yeah. I, I really appreciated the way that, first of all, it just feels like this is a very accessible book where both pastors and lay folk, what even I don't even like that term, but just people in general, whether they're pastors or people that just attend church or people that have never attended church can actually ex, uh, um, ex, just have these amazing conversations around what it looks like to be loved and delighted in um, by God. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm just grateful for them. Such good people. Plus, I mean, I wish we could have cued you all in on some of the pre-conversation before recorded. Yeah. It's just good to laugh. It was yeah. really good to laugh. Yeah. And, and you know, the word that Sid kept using was the word delight. Yes. And I think that idea of delight is, is huge. And not only that God delights in us, but that we can delight in him because he delights in us. And um, the, the idea of joy and delight, and, and you and I were just talking about this, but I didn't mention this because I wanted to make sure they were they were speaking and we had a chance to unpack here. But uh, I know this is more earthly joy, but I have experienced joy with Jeff. Uh, we we sat in the bleachers in left center field at Wrigley Field when the Cubs a few years ago in September when the Cubs clinched the playoff spot in the playoffs and like the the night was wonderful. Everyone was in a great mood. We could smell the grass on the field. The beer was cold. The hot dogs were amazing. The temperature was perfect. Like it was just an amazing night. And when we see each other, we're always like, remember that night at Wrigley? Like that was the, we love baseball, but that was the most fun. That was the most delight and joy we've ever felt at a baseball game. And so it's interesting as he's talking about joy and delight to know that I've spent the most delightful experience I've ever had in baseball at a game with Jeff. So that was kind of fun for me to feel I, that. I love that JR because you're smiling. It's yeah. making me smile. And, <laughs> I, but I, and, and maybe that's just it. Like, man. And I love the way that they define joy as something that's related. It's joy is only found in relational presence. Yeah, absolutely. Is, How different that night would be yeah. if I went by myself. Can you imagine? <laughs> Yay. High five. Uh, somebody. Uh, hello. <laughs> the beer was cold and I drank a lot of it by myself. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, who goes to Disney World by themselves? You know, right, right. Like very few people go to a, a baseball game by themselves. There's a reason. We joy has to be shared, and uh, when it's not shared, it's hard. It, it hurts. And I and I think that that really gets to the heart of why for, spiritual for me, being formed in the image of Christ. It, it it when 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 it's just me and Jesus by myself, we miss out on the entire on the gift of what it is to be together. Yeah, yeah. Well, joy, I believe moving forward, joy will be the evangelistic opportunity for the church. I agree. Because we are in such a joyless world, a joy that call a place that calls it joy, but it's just happiness based on circumstances. But I think joy will be one of the greatest evangelistic opportunities moving forward. And so much of the kingdom is about joy. And when I look at Luke 15, that whole chapter, Jesus is talking about what is the kingdom of God like. 
He tells three stories about joy. Why? What prompted it? Verse 1 of chapter 15 says, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were grumbling, this man eats with sinners. Like they're they're not joyful. It's the opposite. They're entitled and grumbling and complaining. So Jesus decides to tell them three stories about joy and parties and celebration, and that's what the kingdom of God is like. And we call it the prodigal son story. And for a while I thought, well, what is prodigal? Prodigal means waster, squanderer. Actually, the literal word there is scatterer, just just extreme scatterer of resources. Um, and so I thought, well, if, if it's about squandering, well, yeah, it's the story of the prodigal son. And then I thought, wait a second, they both squandered stuff. It's the story of the prodigal sons, plural. Mm. And then I realized, no, it's the story of the prodigal son. I'm just thinking of the wrong son. Because what happened is that at the end, when the, the older son refused to go in, the older brother... He refused to go in and celebrate. And when the father came out, what did he say to him? Everything I have is already yours. Mm. Who squandered more? Not the younger son, but the older one. And then I realized I still have the parable titled incorrectly. It's not the prodigal son, younger son. It's not the prodigal son's plural. It's not the prodigal son, older brother. It's actually the parable of the compassionate father. Because the focus is on the father who's delighting in his sons, both of them, but who's the one that couldn't celebrate with joy? The squanderer. And that I just I was as I was hearing the Holes Clause speak, I just thought of the prodigal son story. And because the prodigal son is saying, Do you know what I've done for you? I've done all things right. I've done everything. I've, I've preached done everything great right. sermons. I've yeah. And it's the whole like if I blank a yeah. bit a little bit more, then God would love me just a little bit more, which they addressed. Yep. That's the prodigal son attitude of the older brother. And yet it's the joy and the delight the father has in us that sets us free. Dang. So anyway, what are some... Uh, <laughs> Drop the mic, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean to like do a mini sermon there. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I'm just passionate preach, about some preach. of this connection, these connections. So yeah, what are some, uh, what are some resources? Um, yeah. Well, uh, definitely Luke 15. I, I think that's be, it would be so wise for us to sit in that and to, to think about that joy and what it looks like to squander those things. Mm. And even to, even to think of it that way, have I, I don't think I've ever actually sat with a question, am I squandering God's joy? Like, am I squandering the joy that I'm delighted in today? Mm. I mean, that changes mm. some mm. things. Um, and to realize like, man, how do I share that joy? How do I embody that joy? So Luke 15 would be great to sit in those stories. Um, and obviously the book, um, does God really like me? Uh, we'll have a link on our, um, uh, on the show notes that you can check it out there and, uh, yeah, definitely pick it up. Uh, Jared, what are some questions that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah. A couple questions. The first one would be, where do I, where have I experienced God's delight in me? And maybe for some of us, if we're honest, maybe we would say, I've never experienced that. And maybe that then becomes a prayer. Lord, would you allow me to see how you delight in me? And then also, where have I experienced God's joy? Or what brings me joy? Where can I cultivate joy in my life? Not in a circumstantial way, situational way, but where can I cultivate joy. Um, and then the third one would be, who lives out this idea of delight and joy? I mean, I, I asked, you know, Sid and Jeff, and and uh, Sid mentioned Ted, Ted from their church. So who are the Teds in your life? 
who live out that delight and joy every day. And whoever comes to mind, a friend or a relative or neighbor, whatever it may be, I want to just challenge you to find them and or to text them or to write them a note or call them. Catch them doing something right and tell them, I just thought of you when I thought about someone who's full of the delight and joy of God. And uh, so that's a question and a challenge. I love it. Would you, you know, go find them, tell them, say, thank you for being joyful because joy is contagious. Delight is contagious. And uh, so just affirm them in that. Yeah. And so I want to throw another challenge on top of the challenge. If you're one of those people that has never experienced delight, when you think of that person, take them to coffee and ask them, how do you experience that? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, Doug, send us out. Yeah. So brothers and sisters, uh, may you be reminded today that God really likes you that he delights in you and that he delights in being with you and that he's with you in the great spaces and the hard spaces. So I mean, you go in the knowledge that in his delight, you have all things, that he has given you everything that you need. And may you just grow in that beautiful understanding and freedom that you are delighted in by your father. 